Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 68, Knit City. There is this thing called island time. I'm still getting used to the concept and figuring out exactly what it means for me logistically, but the general concept is to not worry about getting somewhere on a schedule, or even quickly, because you're subject to implacable forces that you cannot affect. These include wind, waves, weather, and in my case, ferry schedules. I got a great lesson in island time this weekend when Randy and I went to Knit City, Vancouver. According to Google, I live only a four-hour drive from Vancouver now. This is one of those moments where a fact is technically correct, but in practice is something completely wrong. What Google is assuming is that you can get immediately onto a ferry when you arrive at a terminal, and in practice, that never happens. This is compounded when there are in fact two ferries between you and your destination. And when you add public transit on the other end, no matter how efficient the service is in Vancouver, you might as well forget telling people exactly when you're going to be arriving. In actual fact, we got to Knit City exactly when I had initially thought we would. But when I'd made that calculation, I had wondered if two hours in the marketplace would be enough time to visit properly with people and see what all the vendors had, And so I'd said to Randy that I thought we should catch the first ferry off the peninsula in order to give myself an extra couple hours. This is how it went. We woke up at 4.15 in the morning, fed the cat, and got on the road to catch the 5.35 ferry. When we arrived at the terminal, it was all locked up. I checked the schedule on my phone and finally read the two little words in bold at the end of that sailing time. Except Sundays. Well, we turned around, went back to town, got some gas, a breakfast sandwich, and some caffeine, and headed back to the ferry terminal to catch the 7.20 sailing. On the other side, we drove right through to Gibson's, where we arrived 90 minutes before the next sailing. We parked the car, did some walking and stretching, got our boarding passes, and then got on the ferry. Upon arriving in Vancouver at 11.45 in the morning, We caught a bus downtown, then transferred to a second that took us to the Knit City venue, arriving just before 1pm. The market closed at 3, so I quickly did a first pass, saying hello to friends as I passed, then a second pass where I made a couple purchases. I dropped off the hand-spun yarn with Jesse, the major reason I embarked on this insane Sunday excursion in the first place, and left just as the market was shutting down. We caught the bus back downtown, stopping to grab a little sustenance to make it through before catching the express bus back to the ferry terminal. It made a lot of stops for an express, and maybe we shouldn't have stopped for that bite to eat, because we got to the terminal just in time to see the 440 ferry pull away from shore. We bought tickets for the 655 sailing, had a lovely dinner, then sat in the waiting room where I pulled out my knitting for the first time that day. After an uneventful sailing back to Gibson's, we retrieved the car and drove to the next ferry terminal, arriving just over an hour before the last sailing of the night at 10pm, where we were two of about a dozen people to make the crossing. 
I believe the staff might have outnumbered the passengers. We arrived back home at 11.30, fed the cat again, attempted to gear down a little and stretch out travel sore muscles, and finally fell asleep about 20 hours after we'd started the whole adventure at 12.30 in the morning. Google might say it's only four hours to Vancouver. We made it in nine hours each way, and from what people with more experience with this type of travel than me had said, that was apparently pretty good time. They also said we were a little crazy to do it as a day trip, and having done it, I'm inclined to agree. But was it worth it for only two hours of visiting and yarn and fiber? Absolutely. I spent a little time chatting with Jen and Sarah and Caroline and Lynn and Janice and Jesse, met Lisa, who had messaged me in the summer and told me I should come, and found some new dyers from this part of Canada whose work I really admire. I left one small skein of yarn there and came home with four full skeins and six minis to swatch with for an upcoming pattern call. Even in my two quick turns around the vendor area, without taking any classes or having time to really sit and absorb, I felt re-energized about fiber, spinning, and knitting. Was I tired on Monday? Absolutely. Would I have decided not to do it, knowing that it would be 18 hours of traveling for two hours at the event? No, I think I still would have gone, but I would have slept in until around six instead. A great many people before me have said that knitting gives a person patience. Waiting rooms, lineups, airports, and indeed ferry terminals and sailings are less daunting if you have a sock on the needles and the opportunity to get some work done. This is a big factor in understanding island time. Waiting becomes a fact of life whether you're waiting for a ferry or waiting for the sou'wester to blow over so you can continue your ocean journey, and so you find strategies to deal with it. Some people knit, others read, or play cards or sleep. But getting upset or angry about being forced to wait just makes it worse for you and everyone around you. So don't worry. You'll get there. In island time. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. As fiber artists, we know that proper preparation is essential to having a good experience with whatever it is you're doing. If you don't, you know, spend time and create a, a nice ball of yarn, it's just going to be frustrating when you get some tangles and when, as you're knitting, so you have to spend time untangling. It's frustrating. But if you make a nice ball of yarn to start with, uh, you're usually okay until about halfway through if it's a center pull ball. Same thing goes for spinning. If you're going to spend a little bit of extra time making sure that your preparation is good, whether that means, you know, just, you know, loosening it up, or if you're preparing your own from raw fleece, you know, good preparation is worth the extra time when it comes to spinning. And I'm trying to embrace this because I haven't gotten a lot of spinning or knitting done in the last couple of weeks. It still you know, has been a lot about preparation, you know, and working with, you know, my, my physical space to make it conducive to actually be able to do these kind of things. I'm still trying to, we've got a, a bunch of houseplants that we're trying to find homes for. They're sitting in the middle of a table, which I will be using to, you know, do some work at. 
but I can't do that work until those houseplants are gone. So, you know, and, and trying to find or get things arranged properly and, and all of these things. And, and there are things that we need to do for Randy's business that have come up as well. So I'm, I'm embracing this philosophy of, you know, proper preparation makes for a more efficient and, and pleasurable fiber arts experience at the end. But I have been doing quite a bit of prep as well. I have washed a whole Romney fleece. Now, it wasn't a very big one. I think it might be a lamb. But, uh, but I've washed a, a fleece in the last two weeks. I sewed it into some lingerie bags. It, it fit into two of the large ones. So it was quite a small fleece. And washed it, rinsed it a few times, and then hung it to dry in front of our wood stove. Took a couple days still, because I didn't spin it out. I just squeezed it. But, uh, but now it's ready, and so I have to take it out of those bags and get them ready because I've got two more in the freezer to wash. But yeah, I think when I need a break from writing for my freelance work, I think I'll start, you know, carding and combing it and seeing what the best preparation is for this particular fleece. It's got really beautiful crimp and really beautiful color, but it's shorter than I would have expected from a Romney. So I'm going to have to play with it a little bit and see what's going to be best, and then sample as well to see how it spins up. I also found the Jacob that I washed. I'd gotten a couple Jacob fleeces from uh, someone I had met through work back in Edmonton. He owns the only flock of Jacobs in Alberta. And so he'd given me a couple, and I washed three quarters of the ram fleece. And so I have that as well. So, you know... It's been a while since I prepared a fleece, you know, all the way from from raw to to a, a handspun yarn. So I think I'll I'll definitely take some time to do that. I also put a new drive band on my walking wheel. I had a leather one on there, but the join just just gave up. So I got some wet spun linen from uh, a friend here at the guild. Uh, that I then chain plied and then chain plied again to make it basically a six ply yarn. And that worked very well. It's, uh, it's thick enough for the wheel. Now I just need to sew the joins and wax it for a proper grip on the wheel and I can get started on that wheel again. And I've been also going through my my fiber stash and and you know looking at all of these things that I've purchased over the years that I was interested in spinning. So I'm just picking random things and starting to spin them. I've been working on the last uh, few days uh, the superwash merino, which was the stuff that I had tried to felt. It may not have felt it, but it's spinning up beautifully. And so that's intended for a three-ply yarn, and I'm spinning it a little thicker than normal, so we should be getting somewhere in the range of a, a double knitting or a worsted weight on that one. So I'm still in the process of, of like I said, getting my space set up so that I can do more of this technical, uh, the technical side of, of spinning that I want to get started on. Once, the, once my area is set up, then then I can definitely get started on on that. But in the meantime, let's go on to the next module in level four, which is module B4, and that is Rami, 
or Raimi. Not really sure how to pronounce it. I've heard it both ways. So R-A-M-I-E. I pronounce it Rami, but I could be completely wrong. So Rami is another bast fiber and it comes from Asia. It's similar to linen. I did a little bit of looking online before I recorded this podcast and I'm not sure you can get line Rami because of the preparation that's required for it. It's not like hemp or linen where it can be retted. You actually have to get it um, the, the outside off of it immediately after cutting or it basically just won't work. So because the preparation is so different, it may be that line is just not something that exists. But we can get it as top, and your staple length it can be anywhere from, you know, to 5 centimeters to, to 12 in that one. Usually you'll see it more in the lower end of that. It can be spun wet or dry. Uh, your, your dry spun rami will have a more hairy appearance, just like dry spun linen, toe linen. Um, and wet spun, of course, will, will smooth down. But here in North America, you'll find it mostly in blends. It uh, is very strong and lustrous, um, but it is a little brittle. And so when when it's blended, it gets a bit more, um, you know, uh, strength. Not strength, but um, resilience. So in level four, you are required to spin three skeins of Rami. One at 100%, then a wool blend and then a cotton blend. Uh, I wet spun my 100% uh, Rami, and I think the yarn itself looks actually quite nice. My instructor told me it needed a bit more ply twist. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that, but maybe for my end use she could be right. My wool blend I hackled, and that may have been a mistake, because it did not blend evenly even after four passes. I should have probably carded it instead, and if I wanted to spin top, then combed it once after that. My cotton blend is really lovely, but I had to cut the Rami, because of course cotton is so short. So I cut the Rami in half, uh, each staple length, so it got uh, cut down to about two centimeters. I guess the Rami I had was about four. Carded those, uh, it was a 50-50 blend with cotton. Uh, made punies and, and spun it woolen, and it turned out very nice. So there's lots of options when you when you start playing with Rami in terms of you know putting it together with wool, and you get that luster. But unlike silk, it won't dye. So if you want that frosted look, and you may not want to use a synthetic like rayon, you can do it with Rami. And you can still get that frosted look because it will not take on the dye, the acid dye, like the wool. So yeah, that's just a little bit about Rami. I, I think it's a great fiber. And, uh, and we don't see it very much here in North America. And, and I hope that changes. Uh, I think it's, it's a really useful fiber. So yeah, that's module B4. Uh, the next module we'll go on to is C1, which is all about lopi, which, <laughs> uh, me spinning thick. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that next time. And yeah, in a couple of weeks, 
I'm hopeful that I'll have my work table ready and yeah, we'll see how uh, combing or carding the Romney and the Jacob goes. Fiber notes. There still has been a lot going on, which has limited the amount of time I c I've been able to spend knitting, but I did get onto chart five of the wedding shawl. I finished off those last two rows or two pattern rows of chart four, and I think I'm two or three pattern rows into chart five. I, I haven't had a ton of time to knit, but it feels good to be onto chart five. I mean, I recognize that I'm still barely, if anything, halfway through this shawl in terms of the number of stitches. Since I did all of that math, at least I know that. But uh, but it's beautiful and the colors starting to get another color change, so that makes me happy. We've got a long weekend coming up here in Canada, the Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, so even though we've got uh, company coming, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to just have some time to sit and knit, which would be great. The Halloween socks have been my travel project the last little while, and I actually finished the first one, and I'm almost to the gusset already on the second. You know, it, it really doesn't take all that long to knit a pair of socks if you actually are able to sit down for, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes a day and work on it. You know, you just have to be regular about doing it. That doesn't mean I still don't want to get my sock machine up and running because there's still something really nice about finishing a sock in two hours, but I, I don't mind hand knitting the socks either, especially because I get to play with beautiful yarn and spend a lot of time with it. I had communicated with Jessie when I'd finally thought to go down to Knit City and she suggested that I chain ply what I had because there was no way I was going to finish a third ply uh, in time. And it was, it's, we're getting on to the crunch time for the article and the, and the pattern. So I chain plied what I had, made a really beautiful plying ball from it, and then plied that on a Russian spindle rather than the Takli's. Came out to about 163 yards of chain plied wonderful lace weight gorgeousness that I just kept petting and <laughs> touching because it was so beautiful. And I, I was a little sad to hand it off, but that was the point. And that does not mean that I'm done with this project by any stretch of the imagination. I have a lot of this fiber left and it is working beautifully with this particular spinning tool and, and, and even that chain ply preparation. I might try for a proper three ply, uh, the, the next time around, but I'm going to keep going with this project. You know, just, just because the article is close to being done doesn't mean that, that the project is. I'm definitely going to keep spinning it when I have some time. And of course, if Jessie runs out of yarn and needs a little bit more, then I'll have some for her. So that works out pretty good. I did come home from Knit City with some yarn. I didn't come home with spinning fiber because I had so much of it. <laughs> I already realized that. And yes, I have a lot of yarn too, but most of it is not in this province. So I 
I came home mostly with breed-specific yarn. I got a California Variegated Mutant Rommeldale Cross from Lynn Anderson. This is her homegrown yarn, which is squishy and amazing and spun at custom woolen mills, so it's woolen and will make a beautiful warm cowl. And it's this lovely chocolate brown, undyed, just wonderful. And then I also picked up a Superwash Targi nylon sock yarn, which Targi is is has got so much crimp and loft. So the the yarn itself, even though it's fingering weight, has so much more squish to it than I expect from a sock yarn. So that will make wonderful socks. And then I also came home with uh, some mini skeins of Lascaux Light. I believe that's what it is, or Lascaux Fine from Ancient Arts, uh, Caroline Sommerfeld. And uh, that includes Max Lawton, which is a heritage breed. So I'm, I'm really happy to see so many breed-specific yarns and not your Merino, Blueface Leicester, you know, the, 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 the big ones that everybody knows. I'm, I'm really pleased to see that, that some of, of these breed-specific yarns are, are going to the heritage breeds and, and going to, to ones that maybe people aren't used to seeing. So I'm really hoping that's a shift in how we're approaching yarns as knitters and, and wool. You know, actually looking at the, the properties of different wools and, and making the yarns to fit those. So... I was really pleased to see that. I had a great time at Knit City, even the just the two hours I was there. And yes, I'll do it differently next year <laughs> because that was a little crazy. Uh, and I really would like to take a class next year, but I'll get on that earlier. So yeah, the next couple of weeks, hoping to get more done on the uh, the wedding shawl and maybe, you know, break into one of the skeins that I brought home from Knit City or... I'm not sure. Cast on something new. Don't know yet. We'll see. It's it's a long weekend. It's my birthday, and uh, and maybe I'll maybe I'll treat myself to a birthday present by playing with some pretty yarn. Cranking on the fiber side. Oh man, we were so close today, so close to casting on the sock machine. We uh, we got the umbrella thingy in there, and we read the instructions, and we got it all hooked on the needles, and it wasn't working, and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working, and it was dropping some stitches, it was dropping a lot of stitches, and it just wasn't catching right, and so what was going on? And then I found a video on YouTube, and Randy and I sat down and watched it, and I was going, well, that, didn't I do that? That's pretty, and... And I kept looking at it and I kept looking at it. And finally I said to Randy, the yarn guide there that she's got on the screen there is just in front of the cams. And on ours, the yarn guide is opposite of the cams. So what? why? What's going on there? And we went into the book and we looked at the illustrations and same thing. The yarn guide is just ahead of the cams. And he looked at it and he looked at it. And then he said, I think when I put it back together... I didn't put it back together right. I think this little dial thing over here should have been right next to the yarn guide. And he was right. 
so we've taken it home and taken it apart and this gives us a chance to actually do a little bit of work on the cams themselves because um, because it's from 1925 almost 100 years old knit who knows how many pairs of socks on this thing the cams are showing a little bit of wear and that makes the, the action a little rough so we're going to try and just file down or sand down the the roughness on those cams i know i can order new ones and i'm considering it but i kind of want to see if there's anything else we need because that's kind that would have to come from new zealand and so I would really rather do one order from that particular company than, uh, you know, two or three and save on shipping. So for now, we're going to just sand it down a little bit and uh, make sure that the, the action's a little smoother. And yeah, so another couple days, you know, we get a little bit of time to do that work, put it back together, and then, then we'll be able to cast on the sock machine. And that, that will be fun. By the wayside. The fact that I got very little knitting done while I was at home should probably give you a good indication of exactly how much I got done in the accolade this past two weeks, which is nothing. And that's all I have to say about that. Hey, long weekend. I'll break it out this weekend. Thank you for joining me for episode 68. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 69 on October 20th, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.